Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Welcome everyone. This is the first episode of the Bible Feed podcast in 2022. So if you've made it this far, welcome and uh, pleased to have you on board. And we're actually going to close something out. We're going to finish something right at the start of this year, which is brilliant. We're going to close out our Revelation series. So my name's Dan Weatherall and Paul Davenport's with me. Hi, Paul. Hi, Dan. Yeah, it'll be good to uh, good to finish this off. Yeah, it will. And, and it's good, you know, right at the start of a new year to think about something right at the end of the Bible to close out the series that we've been sort of working through pretty much the last half of, of uh, 2021. Because I, I think there's lots of really inspiring things at the end of this book, which can be helpful to almost as a vision to look forward to. Definitely. Yeah. So let's uh, have a little think, not about everything we've talked about. There's five more episodes for people to look back in the archives if you've, if you've not caught up on them just yet. So, but you know, we, we're thinking about it. If we can sort of summarize it in a, in a sentence, we're trying to approach this book as the original recipients of this letter would have, would have heard it. The people in the churches in Asia, as they had this, they would have heard it read out. Yeah. And what, what do they make of it? That's really what we're dealing with, aren't we? And uh, last time we thought about those very, very odd and, and bizarre passages with the beast, the, the, the dragon, the sea beast and the, the, and the earth beast, and saw those as, as these kind of real caricature and what that represents and symbolizes. Uh, yes, we did. I'm, I'm just similar to the, the way there are parallels between the dragon and God and the sea beast and, and the lamb uh, representing Jesus. Uh, there's, there's also a parallel with the mark of the beast. It's that we saw that there were people sealed, the 144,000 were sealed in, in chapter seven. And so it's really about allegiance. Uh, those, those that are sealed in the forehead, uh, you know, recognize the true God uh, and, uh, and his Messiah, the lamb, uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, as where the true power lies, uh, whereas you know, those with the mark of the beast perhaps recognize that the power is with the emperor or whatever the power happens to be uh, in, mm. in, in any particular age. Obviously, that's, that's what it was at the time the, uh, the letter was written. And, and it's, it's, it's really important, I think, to focus on that allegiance aspect um, because, you, you know, you do hear and we have heard in recent times of, of people attributing that idea, the mark of the beast, to, say, the COVID vaccine. Because you need to have had the vaccine in order to open your business and buy and sell, which seems like it's focusing on the wrong part of the passage. You know, it's not about what stops you buying and selling. There are all sorts of things. There's, there's contract law and so on that mm. restricts the way people can buy and sell. And it's for the protection of consumers. And it's not a big conspiracy. Yeah, you can, you can miss the message, can't you? If you're sort of following a false, false clue. So, so that was good. And that's really, really helpful to focus our minds on what, what the point of this letter really is. I think it's setting up that the alternatives, the choice of having allegiance to, mm. to God through, through Jesus, his son, or having allegiance to sin, you know, basically doing what we want to do and oppressing other humans and all that kind of thing. So, so there's, there's some things we need to tie up and we need to sort of get to the conclusion. We haven't talked about time, have we, and time periods and things like that. It must be a bit of a feature of this letter because it starts off, doesn't it, about things that must shortly come to pass. And so there's, there's an element of time 
or an expectation of mm. what what is this talking about. Um, but then you get time periods mentioned, don't you? For things happen for a certain length of time, and particularly you get this thing, for example, in chapter eleven, where the two witnesses they prophesy for one thousand two hundred sixty days. You know, it's really precise. You know, what what what's going on there? You- You're right. There's there's a few, and it is worth just a, a quick comment on them. I think because so there's one thousand two hundred sixty days. There at the beginning of chapter 11. In the previous verse, in verse 2 of chapter 11, it's 42 months. Oh, yeah. Which, when you do the maths, is three and a half years. And 1260 days on a 360-day year calendar, uh, as the Jewish calendar was, is three and a half years. So it's the same time period. And then actually, strangely, a little bit later in that chapter, there's a three and a half days. So that there's this time period of three and a half that, that keeps keeps coming up. And as we found with lots of things in Revelation, it, this doesn't appear for the first time in Revelation. This is pulling something out of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pulling something out of, out of Daniel, where there is this time period talked about, which is a time, times, and half a time. It's in Daniel 7, uh, verse 25. We won't, we won't go and look at it. But that's three and a half, three and a half times. Let me say it again. So it's t- a time, times, as in two times, and then a half a time. Ah, okay. One plus two, three. Yeah, okay. So, so that's so. What is this? Uh, and is it a precise length of time from you know date X to date Y uh, that that we should be looking for? And and I, I think the answer to that is is probably not because it seems to be a a, a sort of a Hebraism, a Hebrew language way of conveying an idea rather than conveying here's a start point and an end point mm-hmm. in, uh, of a period of time. And, and a, a helpful, I'll just quote a few words from um, the professor of Old Testament um, theology and, and Hebrew, Hebrew scholar, um, John Goldingay, mm-hmm. who's actually uh, a Brit from Birmingham in the UK. And uh, I'll just quote a very short passage from his commentary on Daniel about this time, times and half a time. And he says this, he says, it suggests a time that threatens to extend itself longer. One period, then a double period, and then a quadruple period. So if you think about that time, times, and half time. So it's starting off with a time, one, then two, and you'd expect it to go on and add another double, which would be four, and then all of that would add up to seven. Ah, right. Seven's really... Like a, a complete... Yeah. A complete number. Um, so I'll just finish off what, what John Goldingay's explanation is. But with this sequence time, times, and half a time, the anticipated sequence, he says, suddenly breaks off so that the seven periods, which is in effect saying an eternity, that were threatened are unexpectedly halved. So that seems to be the idea that's that's being conveyed. It's setting up a sequence which says, you know, a time, then it doubles. You'd expect it to go on to double again, but it doesn't. It, it halves and, and, and you end up at three and a half, not not seven. So what all of that that he's saying conveys <laughs> is that it, it isn't really about a date from this period, from this date to that date. It's really expressing a concept, which is a period of time is going to, it's going to extend and people are going to be waiting in that period and they're going to be afflicted mm-hmm. and, and, and find things difficult in that period. 
And it's going to feel like, when you're in it, that it will never end. But the way this is expressed, it's really saying, but it, it will end. It will be shortened. It will be brought to an end mm. um, eventually. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, so it, it will come to an end, and it will come to an end when you're expecting it just to carry on. At like the very point, you think it's going to be mm. be extended and, and, and doubled again. And that's that's exactly some of the things we've been thinking about, actually, or seen expressed in the rest of the book haven't we mm. but expectations for how long and yes we, we've we've seen that in the, uh, the the sequences of the seals and the trumpets that there's a delay but it's for a particular purpose yeah okay excellent so that's that's really helpful so so part of the message even just by communicating these time periods is that there is a resolution to all of this like it might seem like mm. the beast or sin humans mess up and continue to mess up through history forever and ever but but actually there is a resolution god is doing something and will do something so so we need to probably try and follow through and find out what 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 happens Let's move forward then with with that idea as well. So we've looked at, like we've said, about the the beasts, the dragon and so on, which was chapters 12 and 13. And that's kind of the middle section, isn't it? That that break. And then you get the sanctuary opened again, don't you? In heaven, verse 5 of chapter 15, the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And that almost like makes you think, oh, I remember that, that happening. That was before this interlude of the beasts and everything happened. So so we're almost back on back on course now. And then now we get the bowls. Yeah, you could almost go straight from the end of chapter 11 through to 15, verse 5. Yeah. Uh, it would be a nice, smooth transition. But there's really interesting stuff in the middle. Yeah, really interesting. That helps interpret what's going on. Because now we know that there's this, you know, this counterfeit uh, sort of system or way of thinking or worldview or sin principle it's just you know that something is driving humans and emperors and empires and and all sorts to to act in this oppressive way and it looks like the real thing like god like his son Mm. the lord jesus um but it but it's not um and so there's a choice to be made so now we've got that information um and then we get the the bowls poured out so shall i read through uh chapter 16 first few verses there yeah just just the first four okay revelation 16 then i heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of god so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. So verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. What what do you think of that? What are you picking up from that? It seems a little bit more more intense again, (laughs) almost, from what we've 
we mm. saw before. It's it where well, it describes them as bold of the wrath of God. That I think that's a new concept. I guess the first thing to say is they're they're really short again. Mm. So they come quickly uh, one after the other. The targets of these different pouring outs are actually the same as the the trumpets. So it was the first one was on the earth. The second one is on the the sea, then the rivers, and then the sun. Oh, okay. And it actually carries on in the sixth and seventh. It's identical to the um to the trumpets. So it's it's almost a rerun of the trumpets and but with I don't know if you remember, but in the seals it that was affected a quarter of the uh yep. of the earth or of the, the target. Yeah. The, the trumpets were a third. It was a little bit more escalating. Mm-hmm. This sequence, there's there's no reference to any any limit. Yeah. It's like every living thi- every living thing died that was in the sea, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's 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 universal. And actually with the seals and the trumpets, we remember we had one, two, three, four, five, six, and then an interruption. Mm-hmm. Something else was described that delayed the culmination, the end of it. Uh, in this sequence, no interruption. It just goes straight through, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, to the end. And as if to emphasize that in verse 17, you know, on the final, pouring out of the bowl, number seven, there came a loud voice out from the temple, from the throne saying, it is done. So there's a real sense of finality. Mm. This is now getting to the end. Perhaps not surprisingly, there's there's something from that middle section with those beasts, the dragon, the sea beast, and, and the earth beast, which comes up in the sixth bowl. So in verse 13, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. The false prophet is the is equivalent to the earth beast. And you can see that in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20. Okay. So that those three things are, are there still. They, they still need to be dealt with. Those three imposters. So there we are. So that's that's some of the features of those those seven seven bowls. Okay. So would the people hearing this then is what they meant? Are they meant to be picking up from this that God is you know this is the time that God is going to intervene? Going to he's going to act. He's going to you know it is done. This is it. God's going to do something. Is that what they should be learning from this? Yeah, I think so. And it's. It, it, we've been through two sequences already, the seals and the trumpets, and it didn't get straight to the end. There was a, a delay for, for a good reason mm-hmm. um, before the end could come. You know, the seals, we saw that as sort of representing the general background noise of human misgovernment and the disruption that that causes to people's lives. But there's a delay in dealing with it so that more people can, can, can hear the call of the gospel mm-hmm. and, and come to Jesus. And, and, you know, the, the question was, who can stand if, if God was to intervene? And you know, the answer was, uh, we need time for, for people to, to come to Jesus so that they can stand in the end. And then the trumpets, you know, there was very much the language of the plagues of Egypt, the judgments uh, on Egypt, almost saying, well, God could just crash in to history and, and execute terrible judgments on people. But the result would be that people wouldn't change. People wouldn't repent, just as Pharaoh didn't change in, during the plagues of Egypt. And so not only is there time needed for people to, to heed the call of the gospel, but also for, uh, for the followers of Jesus to, to witness to, to Jesus mm. by being like him in their self-sacrifice, as we, as we saw. Mm. So both of those previous sequences have this 
delay and a time period, uh, which feels like it will never end, but as those descriptions of time periods indicate, will be brought to an end. And now I think the sequence of seven is is kind of saying the time of, of waiting will come to an end. It will eventually end. God will intervene in the world and will say, okay, it's done. Okay, so that's that's um, a general picture, I suppose, or general way of thinking through what this is saying. I mean, there's loads of detail again. Is there, and because this is now building up to something where, you know, it can be said it is done and God is in effect drawing a conclusion to the to human history and, you know, bringing his purpose to a completion. Is there something more specific about, you know, a sequence of events? Are we to look for something in history and or in the future and what what's what's going on there? I mean, we we talked about this right at the start, didn't we, about how we ought to interpret Revelation and, and how there's different approaches mm. and whether or not we ought to be trying to identify certain things or look out for certain things. There's there's a range of, of ways in which these things are interpreted. Okay. And in particular the effort to focus on to focus particular symbols, the third seal or the fifth trumpet or the second bowl on particular events in history is is something that 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 people spend a, a lot of time doing <laughs> and there is a level of detail in there in these descriptions i mean think of those those locusts yeah yeah <laughs> i know you like the locusts yeah we do yeah um and <laughs> terrifying and you know there's there's loads of detail in there and and so yes part of part of me thinks well that demands a more detailed Mm. interpretation than the kind of overview that I've just I've just given. And that might be the idea, that might be the intent. And and people have certainly done that from earliest times. Mm. We referred in I think the first episode to Victorinus, who kind of the first known commentary on the book of Revelation, and he certainly started to do that. That's fine. That's part of the intent so that anyone in any period of history can think about how mm. things that are happening in their world are um are being talked about in in this book but you know i i just sound a couple of notes of caution about that sort of approach the first is kind of obvious in that over the centuries there have been many different sets of interpretation about what these different symbols mean and and you know how do you know which one you know different events in history are linked to different parts mm. of these these symbols so how how do you know which one mm. is is accurate or, or which, which one is right so I think I would say just that it's fine to think about those things and look for those things, but perhaps don't get too attached to one particular very specific interpretation of, you know, this symbol means this particular event in history, and that's the only thing it could ever refer to. Mm. Because as we've seen, this book, this letter had a representation, it had a meaning to its original audience, which wouldn't relate to a specific event in the 15th century mm. or something. It does have that more generalized meaning. So yeah, just avoid getting attached to a very specific interpretation. Yeah. But if we're going to do that, then sort of build it on on the bedrock of using the the Old Testament symbols that, and allusions that are being drawn into this this book as much as possible, hmm. um, and think about what it meant to the original audience, and build something that's consistent with that. Uh, you know, you know, the the locusts. Uh, we'll, we'll go with the locusts again. <laughs> it's a it's a good example. You know. The, the 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 symbol of the locust is drawn from the plagues in Egypt and from uh, a particular prophecy in the book of Joel in the Old yeah. Testament. You know, look back to those and and see what they mean there. 
not necessarily helicopters. <laughs> you know, which which takes it takes it out, separates it from the Old Testament yeah. illusion. Yeah, you know, av- avoid doing that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that yeah that has actually been an interpretation, hasn't it? So we might laugh, but you know, it is helpful just to keep reminding ourselves to to think about how people would have understood it and what it's rooted on. The Old Testament, like you said, mm. there are specific things in there, aren't there? Very specific things, like the number six 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 we talked about last time, and how that almost certainly is referring to Nero and it's mm. talking about the Roman emperor and so there's really specific things but even then the principle of that is timeless isn't it it's the mm. the, the o- overbearing and oppressive regimes of, of humanity that that are the problem um, so, so that's a timeless message it's the role that that yeah. individual was was playing in the uh, in the world at the time yeah Good. So we need to move on, I think. So that we've, we've got to a point where it is done, effectively. We're reaching some sort of climax. Mm. And, and so God intervenes, or you know, God, God brings about his purpose, and there's some kind of victory. And there's a few more chapters to go, aren't there, which we're obviously not going to think about in detail. But what, what's the victory look like? We, we get things like Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Lots of uh, events about the destruction of this kind of beast and the and, and the false prophet and and so on. Yeah, and I mean this is this is really interesting. We can only kind of just begin to think about it with the time <laughs> okay. that we've got here. Um, <laughs> but and I wrestle with this a little bit because the sort of language that is used, you know, there is the lamb and his army makes war uh, against mm. people, and you think, given what we've seen before about the nature of the lamb and uh, you know is not this kind of fearsome lion that's all red in tooth and claw but the nature of the victory of Jesus is somewhat different from that how how does that chime with that kind of language you know does this intervention this breaking in of uh, of god into the affairs and history of the world somehow involve all those followers of Jesus who who have sought to follow his example of suffering and you know affliction and submission to to whatever in the hope in the hope of something better to follow does it mean all those people suddenly end up picking up swords and guns and and Helicopters. killing millions of people <laughs> that, and, and you know and i i'm i'm pretty sure it's not that yeah and 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 there's there's something that just pops out of chapter 17 which i think just helps to to understand maybe what might be going on here, chapter seventeen actually it's it's one of those new sections when we when we drew our structure it's <laughs> it's the start of a new section where John is invited to come and I will show you something else and it's all about is Babylon and there's a there's a beast that represents Babylon and a prostitute that sits on it and so on so it's a different set of images but representing some of the same things. But if we just have a look at verse 14, so from verse 14, they, that's this beast and things attached to it, 
They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who with him are called and chosen and faithful. So there you've got that very warlike language. Mm. But then the next few verses, I think, help to explain how that happens. So verse 15, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. The ten horns that you saw, they and the beast, will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal authority to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So what this sounds like is is, is not some almost otherworldly army getting involved, but is actually fighting amongst nations, mm. human beings. It's It's, you know, people fighting amongst themselves and that's what brings about the the down, the downfall of these human sin motivated uh, powers and and structures and so it, it it appears as though you know the victory comes about in in that way and actually when you think about that that's quite consistent with with a lot of other parts of the bible when Gideon for example in the times of the judges surrounds the Midianites, um, they, they break their lamps, clay jars that are holding their lamps, and they shout, and the Midianites all jump up in a confusion, and they and, and every man's sword was against his brother, I think is the, the mm. phrase. Um, and, and, they, and they were overcome in that way. And it's the same in Ezekiel chapter 38, at the end of Ezekiel chapter 38, quite a well-known passage that mm. talks about an invasion of Israel by Gog and Magog and other allies with them. And it says at the end that, Every every man's sword would be against his brother. That's that's how how they would be overcome. So I, I just you know just as a start of getting thinking about how does this victory, how does this God breaking in on world affairs actually happen? What does it look like? Mm. Just put that out there as you know something to look out for uh, in, in the phraseology that's used. Yeah, isn't it said? Didn't Jesus say he that takes up the sword will die? He that lives by the sword will die by the sword. It's effectively that's that's it, isn't it? People, mm. violent tendencies and oppressive regimes are effectively taken over, yeah. and in in fighting amongst themselves, destabilizes them, and 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 that's it. You get more language of of warfare, don't you, with Jesus described as someone riding a white horse, dipped with a robe dipped in blood, and you know it's pretty graphic. But his his sword is coming out of his mouth, and I we may have mentioned this briefly very briefly in one of the earlier episodes that that seems to be like the point there you've got this image of an army general mm. riding with an army behind him and yet his sword is from his mouth so that's not your normal weapon is it your mouth and what you speak and what you teach and what you say yeah this isn't sort of mortal combat yeah it, it's clear that the outcome is is what god intends but that that rider on the horse Covered in blood. Whose blood is it? I mean, this is a representation of Jesus, mm. the lamb that was slain, but is alive. It's much more likely in the imagery, yep. um, and to be consistent with the rest of the imagery in, in the book and in the New Testament, that it's his own blood. It's, it's a representation of his own sacrifice. I think that makes sense. It certainly is graphic. That, that there's so much Im imagery in this, isn't mm. there? And it, and it does, I know it does make a lot of people uncomfortable, the images, imagery of, of sort of violence and 
and warfare and so on. I mean, you get things like, again, in chapter 19, where an angel calls to the birds who are flying overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, and sort of like birds picking at the carcasses of all these yeah. people. I mean, it's re- <laughs> that's not very nice, is it? No, it's, it's really graphic. And you think, well, is that is that something literal? That, you know, there are going to be bodies of, of the great and the good or not so good lying and with birds pecking over the carcasses. And is, is that what's literally being described? Again, I think we've read enough and talked enough about what's in this book of Revelation to know that it's mm. it, it's a book of symbol. But, the you know, the kings of the earth, they, they appear later. They're in chapter 21. They're still there, giving their glory to... Um, to the true powers, God and his son, Jesus. So it's more likely that although that's very graphic language, you know, really what it's, what it's saying is the, the authority, the power, the, the, the influence that these kings, captains, rulers wielded is going to be taken away from them. And, you know, a, perhaps a really pithy summary of that is we've come across in chapter 11 where it said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Okay. You know, all, all of the, all of the power and authority that those kings, yep. captains, rulers had, now belongs to mm. our Lord and and His Christ, the, where where the true power lies. Interesting. I, I think as well, if I'm, my memory is correct, that that same imagery comes out of Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine as well. So that's fascinating. It's really not not to be too conf- confused, I suppose, by the fact that it it's the language is very much of. God mm. doing it, but the way it happens, the way it all unfolds, seems to be much more about humans doing it to each other. Sounds like the makings of a, a few new episodes later in the year, maybe, on, on this sort <laughs> of topic. There's a, there's a whole lot more that we could we could natter yeah. on about. Yeah. The, the victory then comes about in the way that we've seen, but then we've got the closing mm. section now, haven't we? Which really sort of changes gears, and we've got these really evocative mm. visions of, of New Jerusalem and things like that. I mean, shall I just read a couple of verses from, say, chapter 21, verse 2? I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her, for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's fantastic, isn't it? So we've, it's a completely different picture and imagery now. So from chapter 21 and 22, it's kind of rounding things off, mm-hmm. bringing us to, to the conclusion. And, and you really can play with every sentence of this and look for the Old Testament allusion, look for the reference to, in particular, I think, the Garden of Eden. There's there's so much language drawn mm. from that. And just just take as an example of that from the beginning of, of chapter 22, the first few verses there. So it says, then an angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kind of fruit. So, you know, you've got rivers, 
and there were rivers watering the Garden of Eden. There's there's every kind of tree for fruit in, in that garden image from Genesis. And, and so it carries on. The leaves of the tree, tree of life, were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. You know, the curse, or it's referred to as the curse in, in Genesis. Uh, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So it's a, it's a real expression of we've landed, you know, mm. the whole Bible story, the whole biblical narrative has landed where it was always intended mm. to, to land. And it's kind of back in the paradise of, of the Garden of Eden and that, mm. that, that cool. sort of language. If you think how the, how the Bible opens, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there was darkness mm-hmm. on the face of the waters. And here, right in the last chapter of the Bible, there's no more darkness. It's all light. Mm. And, you know, it is done. They're really, they're really evocative images. And, and we've got the, the idea of the Jerusalem coming down from heaven and God dwelling with his people. That's, we looked at how the, there was a disconnect, didn't we, between earth and the view on earth and our kind of human human view and with God's view and perspective from heaven. So, and yet it, now that's resolved, isn't it? So, so God is truly here with, with people reigning and, and ruling with in and through them. I do, I must admit, I do, I am puzzled by things like this though. And I'm sure many people are, you know, what, what does this, this really mean? <laughs> it's all sim- symbols, isn't it? It's all um, sort of exotic visions that, that play on, previous passages in, in the Old Testament and so on. But, you know, what's it actually going to be like? That you know, Is there any indication? I mean, it's wonderful to, to absorb the, the poetry and the drama of the language and its, its symbology and to think about it. And, it's, and that's, that's wonderful. That's what it's there for, to meditate on and think about those connections through the rest of, um, of, of Scripture. But sometimes you can get lost in that. Mm. And, and kind of lose track of reality a bit. Mm. <laughs> what is this really talking about? What is the reality on the ground that that will happen that means that this city, New Jerusalem, has descended from heaven and God is dwelling with man? Because of that symbolic language, that poetic language, which is which is beautiful in its own way, it can be hard to kind mm. of attach it to reality. But it's it's not that hard to find explanations in in other parts of the New Testament, you know. And the Apostle Paul is uh, is particularly good at stating things succinctly, really. Um, sometimes, and and in, in well, in this case, anyway. Good. It's, okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, Philippians chapter three and and verse twenty. The image in Revelation is the city descending, uh, and for God ends up dwelling with man. What does that re- What does that really mean? Here in um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now, he's talking to Philippians, he's, those in Philippi. He's talking to real living, breathing um, human beings um, doing ordinary, living ordinary lives mm. and trying to follow Jesus. But he says, no, actually, you don't belong mm. as a citizen of Philippi. Your citizenship is really in heaven with God uh, and Jesus. And so we've got the image of a city and, and people belonging to that city there. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, from heaven, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So it, it's a really simple statement. The way this comes to reality is Jesus returning, Jesus 
reappearing and resurrection transformation to an immortal state immortal bodies like like jesus and and, and maybe just as one final final reference for for this and and, and the series let's just have a look in hebrews chapter 11 and at verse 13 there's a little section there i mean this whole chapter is is listing out people who are being commended for for their faith and their faithful actions and there's a little summary of their situation which says this these all and it's people like abraham isaac and jacob and yeah. these all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth so that's you know that's very much like those people called out of all people languages and nations mm. sealed in the forehead recognizing that god is their true is where the true power is not therefore belonging to the Roman Empire or, or, or whatever the current structure happens to be. They're strangers and exiles on the earth, carrying on in verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They, they do want to belong somewhere. Uh, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. It's this community of, of faithful people. When Jesus returns, we'll receive that immortality. The dwelling place of God through his King and Messiah, Jesus, will be with men. That's, that's really good. It makes it really concrete to sort of think about it, that, you know, all these images are talking about something very real. And, and part of that picture is that there are no more kingdoms of this world. There are no more oppressive regimes. There's no more Emperor Nero. Mm. There's no more beast, mm. false prophet and, and all that. that. That's the point, isn't it? To, we all yeah. live to some extent affected by oppression and injustice and violence and, and terrible mm. things that humanity commits against itself. So and Even if we're not directly affected by it, we can see it happening in the world and we are incredibly frustrated that we can't do anything about it so that's a wonderful walk through revelation thanks a lot paul we've we've got kind of got there in the end it's been really really helpful i i found it helpful i'm sure you listeners found it helpful as well hopefully you have hopefully you can go away to being excited about this book i know i have for uh, a long time felt that this was a bit of an obscure book, a hard book, a difficult sort of book. What's the point of it there? But, you know, it's really, it's challenging us to really think through heaven's eyes, think through God's perspective and, and, and look at the world in, in that sense, which is, which is really helpful to then continue in what seems like an eternity of hopelessness, but actually God is to intervene. He is going to bring about these things i mean he already has hasn't he with the sending of jesus and the resurrection from the dead and that is uh that's the seal of what will come in the future so i mean there's so much that we haven't talked about isn't there in this book but hopefully it's a framework for when you next pick it up when you come across other material about it you've got something to to work with so thank you thank you very much paul thank you to everyone who's been listening along with us through the last year, through 2021, and to all of you, maybe some of you who are newcomers. It's really great to have you. We hope you enjoy the things that we do. We're exploring the Bible together, and it's great to be doing it with all of you as well. 
feedback. We always love to hear it. We get questions every now and then, which is which is wonderful. And by all means, ask questions or, or let us know what you think. The website is biblefeed.org and you'll find us on Twitter at, at biblefeedonline. You'll also find us on Facebook if you just search for Bible Feed. And we've got a whole year ahead of us now, Paul, haven't we? <laughs> to uh, To try and fill... With the with more exciting content exploring the Bible and and faith in the modern world, so we're going to hopefully have a few episodes that sort of dabble a little bit in church history, just to see how how and why that's relevant and how that helps us um, when we're sort of understanding the Bible. But that that will be alongside the usual episodes about about the Bible text, just talking it through and having good conversations about it, and just trying to work out what the Bible text is all about and. Uh, some of the things which which challenge us as we live with faith in a, in a modern world. So thank you very much again, Paul. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you again next time. You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think, hear your questions or subjects you'd like to discuss. So get in touch with us uh, through our Facebook page or send us a message on our website at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey.